There is no shame in what you are feeling, Harry. On the contrary, the fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength, Dumbledore. dimensional fractal of consciousness, currently expressing as a human being in the most authentic way that we can imagine. Welcome to Mental Magic. Hi loves, this is Chris, and today we're going to be introducing a new segment of the podcast, if you will, and they're basically just going to be conversations between me and my friends. I want to give everyone an opportunity to kind of get a peek into the window of some of my more fascinating friendships. I would say all of the people that have agreed to come on the podcast and that are guests in these episodes, they all have very similar qualities in that they have the ability to surprise me with whatever's coming out of their mouth next or and usually and, they have this incredible ability to inspire me and to inspire new streams of consciousness to come into my awareness. And one thing that all of these people, everyone that I call a friend, one thing that they all have in common is that they have the ability to hold space for me to exist as who I believe I am while I learn how to hold space for them to exist as whoever they believe they are. And it seems as though we have a mutual goal to hold space for one another without judging one another or trying our damnedest to not judge one another. And when we do, to apologize and to continue to show up and in my short time, if you will, here on earth in this lifetime, I've found that finding friends who are able to hold space for you and to do it with kindness and with love, they're pretty unique and they're pretty rare. And each time I find someone who has that ability or has that desire to see me for who I believe I am, it feels like I'm getting a holy sacred gift. Like it feels like I'm getting to touch something magical in a resonant connection with another human being. It is honestly talking about my friends, I'm always filled with so much gratitude for this ability to know people who are able to be honest with themselves about the nature of their own inner realities and who are able to see others and allow others to exist in ways that they want to exist without this real desire of trying to convert them to be more like themselves. Like, my friends are vastly unique in how they express themselves and how they navigate life and, and the journeys that they've been on. Like, we, we all have our own stories, and some of our stories are really colorful and some of our stories are, you know, however, whatever labels you place on lives lived, my friends seem to span the whole rainbow. But the people that I have 
interviewed to be on the podcast and the people that I have on my wish list, you know, the people that I have a desire to have on the podcast, they are truly some of the most fascinating people that I've met during my time here on earth. They're truly their own holy being. They're holy unto themselves because they live for the existence of who they are. Like they are so themselves. It inspires me to be more and more of myself and to reveal more and more of myself. And so along my journey, while I have been shape-shifting through life and putting on so many different masks to fit into different communities, I have met and developed friendships with some of the most beautiful people from some really niche communities, as well as other people who have known me for many, many years and have seen me play a dozen different characters. And somehow I've maintained connection with them, regardless of however much time and space goes between us in like physical silence. I'm not necessarily someone who maintains connections all that well, but relationships and friendships in my life tend to flow in and out of my life. And the less resistance I have to that process, the more I get to lavish in the beautiful connections that I experience currently in my life. And so in this episode, I get to introduce you to someone who I'm so stoked that he exists, but a little bit of backstory to give you the context around how we met. In 2015, I was introduced to the work of an Irish philosophical theologian, if you will, named Peter Rollins, and he had this ability to invite the shadow aspects of our consciousness, and he was working in the Christian consciousness at that time, but he had the ability to invite the shadow aspects to come into the light of our awareness. And of course, as soon as I heard that first talk he gave at a Rob Bell event that I was at, I was completely sold out, like completely sold out for whatever he was selling. (laughs) So in 2019, I was fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to travel to Belfast in Northern Ireland and to attend this niche, philosophical, magical, art-filled history-filled festival that Pete curates with one of his friends, Adam Turkington. And the festival's named Wake after the Celtic funeral service. And at Wake, I got to meet some of the most magical and mystical, generously kind and wholly irreverent human beings. And they infused so much life to me in a time in my life when I was literally putting back the pieces of who I was and who I believed I was. And so there is an infinite amount of gratitude that I have for this particular community of humans. And the guest today is one of those humans uh, that I met in Northern Ireland. His name is John Rowe, and he is a roller coaster of a human being. 
and I fucking adore him. So please enjoy John Rowe. Today, I have one of my newest friends. I think we met about three years ago at Wake in Belfast, Ireland, of all places. And um, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but I just have to say he is one of the most fascinating people that I've met in a really long time. He just has a way of explaining our inner worlds in a way that's just relatable, but also mysterious. And you just kind of have to follow the thread and I'm here for all of it. So John, if you go ahead and introduce yourself. Absolutely. That those threads I call rabbit trails, you'll find out soon enough, right? Cause yep. we're having, we're going to attempt to have a conversation, but I, I'm a, an artist and a poet and community organizer, activist, an avid lover of why people do what they do. And that has driven me to be an explorer and somewhat of a traveler. I, I don't drive. I, I love living the majority of my life outside, even though like I'm, I'm highly urban and like the, the city and density and of environment is like also potent for my life. And, you know, all the, my interests and, and curiosities that I'm trying to follow those rabbit trails that we'll get into, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And so, you know, in our last conversation, you were just out here recently last weekend and we got to meet up for hours. And those are my favorite kind of conversations where you're just like following, you know, following the rabbit trails. And um, you had mentioned, because I was kind of bemoaning this podcast, it hadn't been released yet. And I was just like, help me, John. Like, what do I do? How do I get this thing off the ground? And uh, we were specifically talking about these guest episodes at one point, and you mentioned Krista Tippett and how she usually starts her conversations with one question, and that was brilliant. And I'm so grateful for that. So my one question for you is, how does it feel to be you right now? Ooh. So I, I, with that question, I have this mix of what I would they're not goosebumps it's like hot and cold at the same time and they're like waves nice. and and I think there's something about what does it feel like to be me it's this I would say it's this strange embracing of of paradoxes of sensation where I can focus in but I'll also be aware of you know things that are peripheral where where I'm not you know like I am in this, I'm in this body, but it's a multiplicity of sensations. It's like even being in my body, I can follow these sensations. They, they lead and uh, turn and twist and play. And so like, I feel like that kind of sense of within this embodiment is, is a dance and I'm responding to these sensations as if you would be responding to music. Like there's rhythms uh, of me in the world and rhythms of the world that are in me. So it's like this weird, you know, conversation that's, I mean, I may crit- criticize or critique what my dancing looks like, but the the truth is at a base level in this body. And then in this time, I, I love to dance. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. just a general love of like, you know, profound gratitude for life and and where where I am, there's a, a deep joy and, and which which encompasses a deep sorrow too, but it's held together, 
you know, in this kind of movement? Oh my God. (laughs) Seriously. That's amazing. Like that's, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like you can string together words and wait, or you're just painting this beautiful picture. And, you know, first thing that comes to mind is your art, is your painting. We were just talking about it a little bit, Mm -hmm. but if you can go into your art is so abstract, but defined in a way. And, you know, we were talking about how it's flowing and kind of solid. Like, how would you describe it if you could even do that? Yeah. So like, I mean, even, even thinking about self, you know, and that the, the hot, cold sort of dynamic uh, or following sensation painting for me is honoring this process of expression. It is another form of following, but it's a, a push and pull of what I would say between like gestural or, or reptilian brain. So it's like all instinct, you know, maybe patterns that like my body wants to do and in rhythms that are, that are just, they naturally come out. And then like this, I would say it's a meditative revision of those instinctual marks where I, I, I take steps back and, and I see what has happened and like certain parts resonate and other parts, you know, like I, I'm, are agitating, you know, like, and, and in between, I then choose the next marks, which generally speaking, there's, there's, it's really a, a description of what's fast and what's slow. The instinct comes fast. It's very tied to the body where the revision is, is tight and concise and it comes out, out more out of the mind than it does out of the body. Mm-hmm. But then I have no problems with letting the instinct come back over the top and create layers where things are destroyed or things are concealed. So there, there's this, this dance with pigment and, and color and form in the same way that maybe reflects my internal life. Even though I don't know if I knew that I was doing that in the very beginning. I, I, I think it was just me giving, giving myself grace to not have to achieve something. That I have formal training in painting, but like... I don't know. I, I, I don't have this deep desire to take photographs and make, you know, clear images. Rather, the, like I used the word before, but muddling is like how relationships intersect and being a node to a network, you know, that's, that's alive. I don't want to make a painting that has stasis within it that gives you an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather, like, I want to cultivate something that's an invitation, like the whole process is for me, to basically host the viewer every time to discover something new or reflect something surprising back. It's not necessarily as straightforward of of a mirror as paintings that are much more emotional or music that's much more attuned to a a vibe, but, you know, it's all the more nonetheless mine. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. so so I I continue even though I don't know why I continue (laughs) 
And I love it. And that's <laughs> a beautiful way that we're able to just express who we are and pull our insides out and just let it be seen. And so in that process of allowing your artwork to be seen, I know you post it and you're in galleries and, and things like that. What is that process like for you once you've created this art that is so personal to you in sharing it with other people? How does that feel for you? How do you kind of navigate that space? Ooh. Well, obviously there's layers there too. This is the funny world that I tread in. I care so much about how others might engage or be engaged or creating something that's moving that oftentimes my personal feeling is that I'm overwhelming. I'm coming not with, you know, a, a knife to a gunfight. I'm bringing an army to a coffee meetup, you know, like, and... Yeah. <laughs> the amount of stuff that I've been stewing because I'm an extrovert living in an introvert's ideal. I'm by myself. I create in almost a vacuum. My resource is internal, which depends heavily on, the, you know, I mentioned that I'm outside most of the time. I, I bike everywhere and walk everywhere. And, and when I travel, you know, I'm in a tent or, uh, you know, like in between in between's real important for my work, especially within community. When you invite people, because that, that's the, the role of an, an artist beyond the creation of the thing, mm -hmm. is actually the role of the host, or it's similar at least. Or maybe you might say it's a, a saucier, a cook that, that's pulling all these different personalities and, and elements and going to make a stew. And they're going to they're gonna muddle in their own right. And I don't exactly know what what kind of magic flavors these intersections are going to bring, but I have the, this, this vision that'll be good. You know, like gumbo is this profound fusion, you know, of cultures that you never would expect they mm -hmm. would overlap or even find synergy. But like, like this is the dreams that I want to live out. I want to share some gumbo. I want to be gumbo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that resonates for me. My mom's family being from Louisiana, like oh. gumbo is literally our comfort food. <laughs> so it's perfect. And that's such a perfect and beautiful analogy because being in community, I know you have traveled in and through so many different communities in your life. I believe you said you were born in South Africa? Senegal, West Africa. What was that journey like from being born in Africa and then coming to America and weaving in and out of so many different communities that you've kind of found yourself in? Well, so, so part of that is is cultural. There's something we could probably go on really far uh, talking about like formational stories and the, the times of childhood and how, how they shape us. Mm -hmm. um, but in my particular story, I grew up with a, a single mom, and there's this place that I think is, or, or from my experiences, has been the most profound, and that's my mother's own humility. Her presence, knowing that she could not take care of me alone, led into this, I would call, radical way of parenting, which was mm -hmm. that of inviting others in. So wherever we were, it didn't matter the religion, the cultural background, the, the socioeconomic status. I wasn't just the single, you know, boy, you know, alone waiting. 
In fact, I was emplaced and implanted in these different family systems and religious systems and cultural systems, you know, with food and, you know, fellowship of all sorts that changed over time because every place we moved, the roots looked different. And people that didn't travel a lot in their their formative years, they generally assume that that life for everybody looks the same, where... Mm-hmm. What was imparted on me is that life everywhere, even if it's just across the street, can be radically different. And so there was something profound with that insight that not only was I taught about the generosity of community, that it doesn't have, the gift isn't that it sticks to a a certain way or a certain system. The gift is itself. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and my curiosity continues to be driven by how many different ways there are to express um, not only ourselves, but like what I might call life being good. I know that me personally, it's somewhere between a party and camping alone in the mountains. So like um, <laughs> the best. <laughs> it's, it, it's it's a contradiction and that, that I've come to accept those parts of myself as a, as the spectrum of, of me. But I also know that, that everybody else comes with a, maybe a multiplicity of contradicting ideals that shift with contexts. Some uh, of my formative years were, were survival methods and means to deal with things that kids, you know, I would wish didn't have to go through. But, you know, my reality is not all uh, hugs and teddy bears and, and suburbs, and it's been a roller coaster ride in its own right. And I, so I think that becomes a part of the spectrum rather than the part that I want to leave out of my spectrum. A lot of healing uh, or metaphors for healing are framed in sort of like an exit strategy. I think we've joked about Christian nihilism. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, paints a pretty picture, but really it just wants to get away and idealizes some beyond rather than like inviting a grand reckoning and a, a caretaking of the, of the right now, the right here, the, the us in this, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, like, I think that's been my, I keep coming back to this, but the breaking metaphor has been huge for me to not turn away from that, which breaks whether it's heartbreaking or breaking chains, it's the same kind of internal power that is empathetic and at the same time is this, you might call it like divine vulnerability. It's a, it's a gift in itself, even though like I wouldn't be wishing suffering on anyone. I'm right. not like hoping that you're going to go through struggle like so that you'll overcome or so that your wound, nobody wants to be a bleeding wound, you know, like just <laughs> right. walking around. Like, but there's something profound about as a community, knowing that the wound is not the end. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the times and trials that are a part of our lives are dynamic and robust. And they're not, even though like we have a tendency to name our lives based on certain conditions and identities or circumstances that we've gone through those aren't the totality they never they get blaming power but they don't get naming power you know (laughs) yes yes (laughs) 
And I'm, I'm here to the breaking of chains is like also the letting go of all of that blame, all of those unjust names that we take on ourselves or that we impose on others. We don't got time for this. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, and, 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 and I think we're called to make something more of this, the, this life or maybe not, not more in some, the ever grasp for, you know, I, yeah. like, but that we would, we would be fully present to the gift that we have. Right. You know, that, that we would be hosts to our own lives and good hosts, mm-hmm. you know, right. that, that in turn we would be hosted and hosting. This is the, you know, the grand dynamic of plurality is that we're not alone, that we can come beside one another. And, and there's a, you know, a beautiful proportion and ebb to what relationships look like. And, you know, just, to be honest, it, it hurts and it sucks sometimes, but like right. that's the depth and weight of how much it matters. But, you know, I, I, I told you that I lost my best friend in 2019. You know, everybody has the kind of a method to kind of get over grief when you're in a process and everybody has advice for you and that process is unknown and uh, all consuming. Time, I'm, I'm not going to say that time heals all wounds, but time becomes strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that strangeness, though, I feel like there's a reflection of depth. You come to, to express in a myriad of ways, because we're all different. And it's, you know, I, I think loss and, and grief takes a lot of different kinds of catharsis, some in the body, some in the emotion, some in the mind. But for me, it, like, it revealed the depth of love that I couldn't get over this person and the feelings that I had it was crushing, but also at the same time, like it, it held me. <laughs> That's and, beautiful, yeah. And, and, and continues. That may be like my, I, I don't have, I haven't formed words about this. It's part of my, my reflection though of ghosts and spirits and sort of ancestors with us but that that absence in my life is a is a profound presence in the real right Um, yeah and I remember us talking about this and I had shared with you that I lost a childhood friend in a similar way in 2019 as well and you know after that passing the connection that still remained and that still remains is something that is not easily explained in our tangible 3D world, but it's something that in a way holds us together. Like there was, we have this whole memory and aspect of our life that we shared with this other person for however many years we journeyed together and to be able to go on living and holding them in our memory, like holding them close to us. How would you, and you kind of alluded to it, but how would you kind of describe your relationship now with your best friend going forward Mm. without his physical presence? Yeah. So um, anytime I hear the words, I'm sorry, it's almost as if I hear, I hear his voice. Mm. Um, the the depression in him was self-deprecative to a point that there was kind of no return. You know, it's just like it cycled and spun out of control a lot of times. Yeah. And, that, you know, like it, it didn't matter if I said, it, 
it doesn't matter <laughs> or, right. or you're forgiven or no amount of quote unquote positive reinforcement or, but there's something about the weight of sorry uh, of the, that continues to be his voice in me that I have such a deep breaking for those that are mentally at battle with themselves, mm-hmm. you know, that I break as they break. And I know that whatever the expressions of that, how they, how they come out is earnest, is genuine in a way that oftentimes gets written off or, you know, we're too quick to say, get over it or, you know, like, um, <laughs> Or look to the sunny side of life, kind of, you know, like, <laughs> um, but to that presence, I don't feel the guilt of sorry, but I feel the grace of presence. I feel mm-hmm. the, the breaking on the inside that, that I need to, that I feel this compulsion to be sorry. And, and it's, yeah, it, it, it shapes how I can also be self-deprecative coming from the Midwest and like not being willing to fully show up for myself and for the communities that I love. And it, it provokes me to, to be better, to not wallow in my own, you know, <laughs> my own spins or my own self-pity. You know, it's hard for an extrovert to be alone a lot. <laughs> Yeah. I I mean, I don't know what that looks like. I'm an introvert, (laughs) but as an extrovert, what does it feel like? Like how, I mean, 2020, everything shuts us down. So what do extroverts do? Like, how do you maintain your connection to other people? I think I would never have thought that Zoom or, you know, online interaction would be, would be or hold the depth of connection that it does for me today but the last you know few years what has been proximate is disconnected and what is non-proximate is is almost the only connection there's as a single person in his (laughs) mid-40s the the fogey stranger that everybody has advice for like how I could get my life right based on their blueprints, right? right. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's something about home and familiarity that's, that is important, um, mm-hmm. but it's not what people think it is. We associate it firsthand with like-mindedness or similarity, but that's not real. Like, I think there's something simpler that's maybe based on, uh, like similar to my mom's unconditional love, where where she couldn't be with me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, this, it's the presence and awareness of non-judgment of maybe it's the suspense of any particular fix that then allows you to be safe as you are not safe as you should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, so like I return to who knows what kind of chaos in the home that I'm living in. I live with a family, mm-hmm. um, and it's always going to be unfamiliar on that level, but that's not what makes it home. You know, what makes it home is this, we show up for one another where we are, that I'm, I'm invited, I'm welcome. Uh, will that mean that there's conflict or, or you know, smooth, smooth riding conversations? It, it, it generally accepts both. 
and and we need this these spaces and relationships in our in our lives that that are dynamic in that way that that allow for fuller spectrums to be expressed mm-hmm. um, I mean there's lots of people's senses of home that are largely just reflections of a of their own fractured pasts, you know, or, or trying to fulfill somebody else's dreams for them. Mm-hmm. I, I recently, I bought an RV, which, oh, cool. uh, I mean, kind of, <laughs> Okay, it, it, it's broken and I, I can fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most of my life, I live in, in other people's contexts. I, I live in a, an extra room or a basement or a backyard. Um, and I don't have my own home. You know, mm-hmm. so like my my place of being is always somewhat insecure. So during the pandemic, you know, like I had some money saved up because I was going to travel and it didn't happen. So instead, I ended up buying an RV uh, that, that was broken down because everybody thought this would be a perfect way to gain my security or that safety. And yet it is it's to own things is weird for me. I live light. And um, can travel a lot. You know, I, I have a wealth of time, which is not something many people share, at least in America. Um, but this has been a great complication in my life to have this thing. I don't even know how to drive, much <laughs> less, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, it's not something I can carry on my back. And somewhere along the process of me starting the tear out, uh, you know, it's because I'm going to revamp it. I realized maybe this isn't for me, which was a shock because it, it. I had all of these voices say it should be. This should mm-hmm. be the good. This should be the fulfillment of all you need. That you finally get this weird stability because you're, you know, transient. And and I realized that for for the people that were around me, they perceived my transience as the problem, right. and that this was a fix for that. It allowed me to be transient, but in an acceptable way. Like, and I'm not, you know, like I can I can hear the words parasite or leech, but I also know that it's not the full story, you know, that that I'm I'm hopefully coming with the gifts that I bring, you know, that it's not that my my load is light for people, not not heavy. Mm -hmm. Um but it's different and it's radically strange for a culture that has this self-engrandized, you know, pull myself up by my own bootstraps and don't need, and, you know, also toxic white masculinity. It's like, uh, yeah. And so with that, like, it's so countercultural for you to kind of exist in the way that you're existing. And it sounds like there's a level of acceptance that you have with it, a level of peace almost with this is, the life that I've lived my entire life, like this is who I am. And of course, you're going to have those voices, as you mentioned, whether externally or internally, telling you that what you're doing is wrong or what you, you should be doing something different. How do you maintain your level of security within yourself to continue on in your own personal journey without, you know, either cutting out people or fighting against this narrative that's saying you should be living in a different way? I mean, I, I, the, the first thing is I love people. So what I afford to others isn't necessarily what they afford to me. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I also can't expect that, you know, like it's kind of like, 
you know, introverts that being in highly social spaces, like it does become a burden. Like because I've traveled and lived in lots of different scenarios, the kinds of costumes that I carry around, the the kinds of ways of navigating different personalities or different assumptions about the world, worldviews, et cetera, is pretty diverse. You know, it doesn't mean that peace doesn't sting. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I'm always peaceful either. You know, mm-hmm. like there are things, I have my own boundaries that can be provoked, you know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it takes a lot, if I'm honest. And and I'm willing to bear the the brunt of it most of the time because I recognize it's just me. And, and there's an element of like, I think that comes with all survivors, you know, of, of both complicated childhoods and, you know, all kinds of abuses where the, where the joy of right now can overshadow any past. And even though like now is unideal, I feel like I have, I have a wealth of other people's, just just like, you know, my friend is with me, there are a lot of stories and every person I encounter, I feel like I'm capable of gleaning something new from them that cha- that transforms a part of me that can't go back to what I was without them. Mm-hmm. And, and though I can't name names necessarily and, or I can't even name how any of this works, I do know that like, the strange sensations that I have in my body when in certain circumstances I can trust, which is also why I break for those that are in scenarios where they can't trust their own sensations or their own minds or their own bodies. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, along those lines though, yep. would you say you were taught to trust yourself, taught to trust your intuition and instincts, or was it something you had to learn? And how did you do that? Maybe that's the thing is that being extroverted in, in new places where I didn't know people and oftentimes was alone, I had to, I had to deal with me and being alone and feeling like this, it's part abandonment, you know, that there, there's a part that there's this huge chasm that is insatiable and will never be fulfilled. Like uh, the, I want, I long for the endless party and all of the personalities to come and it to never end. You know, I'm, if I'm invited to your, your house or a place, I will be the last one. I will be the first one to show up and the last one to leave. Like, cause yeah. I want it all. But part of that is because of the, the contrast that so much of my life is, yeah, I, I would say a, a profoundly contemplative way that it works, it, it runs slow. Time, my perception of time is not a constant, maybe not even linear, but the different parts influence, like all the parts are still connected. I can't disconnect from the, the radical isolation and the lack that I feel from the the gift and the the absolute connections that I have or uh, that I've made or that I'm making. Yeah, there's something about the contrast there. I, I wouldn't have the tools if I hadn't been given the time. Oof, right. And I would have never chosen this path. Like this is not the road that I've chosen, mm-hmm. but it's the surprise that I live and live into. Yes, um, oh, I love that. <laughs> because I mean, I genuinely think 
once we can surrender to the surprise that life is, I mean, even for my life, it's been a lot more cookie cutter than yours in a lot of ways, but still the version of me that exists, I could have never guessed in a million years that I would be who I am. And so it's, it's surrendering to that surprise and allowing that to just unfold in whatever way that it's going to. It's just kind of the, the wink of existing. And I love that. So kind of what's next for you? I know you had mentioned you want to go back to Africa to do like an art. Is it a festival? What? I mean, so this is what I had planned on doing in 2020 that didn't happen. Okay. Um, but it's the Dakar Biennale. It happens every two years. It's happening this next month. I'm not going. I've kind of, my, my mother turns 80 this year. So I'm going to stay in Kansas City and celebrate her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a lot of murals coming up this season. So, But 2024 is the next Biennale. And I, I hope to be there in person. But essentially, it's an invitation to the African diaspora, those that have been essentially embedded in another culture. Uh, it's an invitation for all of those people to return to the continent and share their creative and artistic expressions. Mm-hmm. And it's such a radical, radically different frame for the art world that the, it centers around, you know, the uniqueness and the, the strange experiences, the profound fusions of culture that give rise to new life and new experiences expressions all like coming together to celebrate that diversity and for that to be my birthplace that is both like the known unknown uh, you know and you know and the outsider insider if this is just a recording I I am a you know blonde hair white guy um you know I'm very American as American as it gets Mm -hmm. uh and I live in the Midwest so there's no mountains or sea that's close to me to, to go to the great seaport of the continent where I was born, that all possibilities are kind of open, that, that, that there's this great, strange, mystic relationship between the Sufis and the fishermen that, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like there's this a connection with, and maybe it's this going back to the first metaphor of dance, there's a there's a dance uh, like a like a like the dervishes that spins and the I imagine like you know how like people that work you know hard labor their hands show the life they live right like you know the sea is salty and it and and we think of like sailors and people that live on the sea as salty people mm-hmm. um, I'm so excited for what what is what is this salty mysticism that that is welcoming and hosting and inviting all of these people that have not known what home is for so long to come back to it? Yeah. And I'm all if I think about it, I'm kind of freaking out. Like there's, you know, there's a part in on the inside that I know that I'm I will continue to be the stranger and the outsider, but there's also a part of uh, what's happening there that speaks some truth to me, mm-hmm. that, that, that reminds me of metaphors that are deep, you know, like I, I, the sea is inside me, you know, like whether mm-hmm. or not I'm by it or close or proximate, like it is a, it's a deep love. You know, there's a natural connection that 
I can't, I don't have words to explain. And, you know, that's not to say the profound nature of food and sharing within, you know, family settings and, you know, and how much our mind and our, our brain holds these formational things, you know, that like a smell might trigger worlds in me. There's no other place to smell this particular concoction. So it's one of, I wouldn't say it's my last journey, but it, it is maybe my last solo journey. The one that the journey itself is about um, my return to self, because I think that I I think we mentioned it before, but if someone invites me to visit, uh, I say yes, (laughs) you know, and I'm the I'm the weird person that actually shows up when people invite me, you know, (laughs) and I feel like I have some outstanding invites. But I, I need to do this journey, or at least I, I long to. I'm, I'm excited for for making that happen. And I, also, there's a strange thing that's happening with my artwork right now because of where I make work. My painting studio has been in a glass factory that's mostly blown glass, and I'm starting to experiment and create fused glass in that world. They've been kind of. It's hard to be around some so much beauty and not have it have the processes and the personality shed off on you like Mm -hmm. i mean so i'm kind of being wooed if you will by the the world of glass and transparency and this like very material uh aesthetic that's forged by fire i mean it just sounds so romantic in some ways you know Uh, but it's also fragile and heartbreaking too. Like I had my first piece break on me and, and like I, after putting like 80 some hours into it, oh, I was like crushed. Oh, no. <laughs> but I, 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 I haven't given up. It, it could have been one of those turning points where I'm like, okay, this is not for me. But I, and I know that this is like a good path forward. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's exactly, that's not how I responded to what uh, this traumatic, you know, moment in the process. It was like, I have learned a lot and I'm, I'm really excited for what's next. And that's yeah. the right energy is there and motivation, et cetera, and good people around. So it's, yeah, the deck is stacked. It <laughs> to, sounds like it. <laughs> to work, to work more in glass. Yeah. I'm not going to abandon painting or poetry anytime soon, but we can always, we're all always up for learning. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think that, yeah, ed- education's the, is a way forward. You mm-hmm. know, it, it is a form of lack that cultivates desire. And that's been a, a an ongoing problem with institutions is that the way of education is just to, to repeat patterns, mm-hmm. not to inspire lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of, uh, I'm over like making everything a system. I'm, I'm really into like, you know, like responding to all these strange invitations, be them personal, cultural, or even material. <laughs> <laughs> 
So. Yeah, it, that's amazing. And I think that's such an inspiring way to live your own life because honestly, talking to you, I get inspired. And like after we after we had all those, you know, hours of talking, I came back and recorded another episode. Like it's just the energy. It's the energy exchange that we have between each other and around each other that allows us to continue on in our own path while still holding true to the connections that we have. So I'm so appreciative of, I mean, even being on the podcast of getting to know you, just how weird our paths cross. I'm grateful. Ireland. Ireland, all places. Come on. (laughs) It's so random. (laughs) But it was great. I mean, that festival is happening again this year and I'm stoked to go. I'm so bummed you're not coming, but um, we'll, We'll hang out again soon. I mean, sure. it's only a matter of time. So would do you want people to find you? Where can they find you? Yeah, um, I think the, the easiest intro, though very chaotic, is Instagram. At John Rowe, J-O-H-N-R-A-U-X. The near future, there will be more online things that take place. During the pandemic, I was experimenting with VR and hosting galleries online. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you did the virtual Burning Man, right? Yeah, so that's sort of like put me over the edge. And, okay. you know, I I uh, have a camp called the Tear Shed that visual artists, poets, and musicians um, that share work over Zoom or in online environments. And I'll probably do that again this year. But I, that, that really uh, shook me uh, about how the meaningful can be reached virtually. It's another, it's an extension and an aspect of our world. You know, it's not an alternative and Mm -hmm. it's not a replacement. And I'm here for that. I can't tell you how many, you know, strange intersections that have come through honoring the virtual or or, or this particular medium. I, I think oftentimes like things like social media get inundated with memes and like just sort of bogged down by... I don't know, like a bubble wrapped culture, you know, everybody's repeating. Yeah. And it's like, but the, the power of the written word and image and, and personalities and our, our humanity. And for, for me, nature as well, mm-hmm. like they don't lose their luster, even though like we, we can diminish or dehumanize or devalue in general. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's something uh, non-reductive there. And I'm surprised by it that I've had those encounters through virtual systems. It, that continues to be a surprise. But yeah, at John Rowe, <laughs> to answer your question. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> oh, perfect. Rabbit trails it's, and rabbit trails. It's all, that's all life is, just follow the thread. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. And if you want to find me, I'm at Mental Magic Podcast with a period after each word. And thanks for listening. Bye.